Hello and welcome to End Goals, an LCMS Youth Ministry podcast. I'm host Reverend Mark Kiesling, and I'm with DCE Juliana Schultz. We are here to bring parents, church workers, and lay leaders discussions and resources to help your youth ministry meet its end goal, which is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Today, we're going to talk about households of faith with Reverend Jason Brogy of Lutheran Hour Ministries. Our last few episodes have been focused on partnering and working specifically with parents. Uh, but parents and teens are often not the only people within their household, right? You're going to have siblings, you're going to have extended family and more. Uh, one household look, might look dramatically different from another. Uh, so for example, like I think about uh, my childhood, uh, we had times where we had uh, friends living with us. In fact, we had some time where my aunt and my cousins were living with us. So households uh, are vastly different and they change right over time. And as a youth leader, it's important for us to talk not just about parents and youth, but thinking holistically about the whole household as we're caring and supporting young people. Absolutely. Households can be very busy places with a lot of different responsibility and different roles in life, maybe under one roof but also maybe extended to and how that plays into the life of a young person. And keeping Jesus at the center and finding time for feeding on God's word can be challenging when juggling all those commitments. And finding those times maybe for structured time in God's word and prayer are so worth it and aren't a great blessing. But certainly in addition, we know that growth comes in just regular interactions and conversations day in, day out. And in these moments, young people hear about Jesus, see Christ-like sacrificial love put into action. And those households then reflect that Jesus is with us and cares about all things in life, the good, the bad, all those moments, um, because he cares about his people whom he loves. Absolutely. Now, you also know that Mark and I are big fans of data, right? We love a good chart. Um, And (laughs) Certainly, I think that scientific data can give us some really powerful information that can help us to better care for the lives, the spiritual lives, especially of young people inside the church and in our communities. So when we started talking about this series on parenting, we knew we had to include the work of Lutheran Hour Ministries has been, that they've been doing with Barna, uh, particularly around households of faith. Uh, so joining us today is Reverend Jason Brogy. Reverend Jason Brogy is Director of Design and Development for Lutheran Hour Ministries. Jason joined the Lutheran Hour Ministries team in April of 2018 as the Associate Director of Design and Development. And prior to serving at LHM, Brogy spent seven years in curriculum design and development at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. He also has served as an adjunct instructor on classes on topics such as teaching the faith, confirmation, Christianity in the postmodern age, and the emerging church. I think we're going to have you on for other topics, I think. Listen, no, I'll listen, be listen happy to that line. <laughs> he has a Master of Divinity from Concordia Seminary and a PhD in Education from St. Louis University. Go Billikens. Jason and his wife, Mary Jane, reside in St. Louis, Missouri with their four children. And my mother-in-law. And your mother-in-law. So talking about households. Yeah. Yes. I think, yeah, that's changing. A, I think it's important to add to this because- <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, Absolutely. Uh, and thank you for having me here. This is really uh, a lot of fun and exciting to be here. Uh, one of the things I think is interesting is, and, and we we talk about what I learned from doing these research studies. Yeah. One of the first things I learned is I was looking at my own household yeah. wrong. <laughs> um, I thought I had a nuclear household. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was me and my wife and my kids. And I don't. Mm. I have a multi-generational household. Mm. Mm. And I should know that because I go to my house and my mother-in-law eats dinner with me every day, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, And she lives in my house. But I, I didn't. I have a multi-generational household and I wasn't thinking about it correctly. Mm. And going through this research project when we were doing the getting the initial data and looking at the different household types that exist in America today actually changed the rhythms of my own household. It made us focus and mm. think and talk about things and go, wait a minute. 
we shouldn't be thinking in the rhythm of a nuclear household. We should be thinking in the rhythm of a multi-generational household. That's a gift God's given us, and there's a lot of power to it. So want to make sure I include my mother-in-law, Kathy Baker. Yes, and the application of data. Love it. Uh, it's so good. It's so good. All right. And there's so much that we can dive into here. But before we go too far, we want to hear a little bit more about you because we heard a little bit of the bio, but maybe tell us a little bit about your vocations, your roles in ministry, and particularly other things that bring you joy. Uh, boy, my, my, what was it? My vocations, my roles in ministry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a weird role, weird ride in my life. I remember in 10th grade, I was, uh, at a family reunion in Colorado mm-hmm. and Rocky Mountain National Park. Mm-hmm. And we were around a campfire and, uh, it was somewhere between 10th and 11th grade. And they said, Jason, I was the oldest grandchild by far, the oldest nephew or niece by far. What are you going to do when you grow up? It's not too far from college. And I said, I don't know, but I'm never going to be a teacher and I'm never going to be a pastor. <laughs> and uh, what I wasn't thinking as I talked, because there was at least three teachers around the fire. And they're like, what's wrong, <laughs> wrong with teaching? Right. <laughs> um Ironically, I became a teacher and then uh, went to the seminary to be a pastor and then got a PhD in education to, I don't know, combine the two. <laughs> so my I, I, uh, my life has been this series of uh, going in the direction joyfully that originally when I was younger, I said I was never going to do. Uh, currently, we attend Webster Gardens Lutheran Church and you know I teach a Bible study there and I will help preach there from time to time. And I'm heavily involved in things like uh, tech, Teens yeah, Encounter yeah. Christ, mm-hmm. and uh, enjoy connecting with people and sharing the gospel. And you ask me what brings me joy, I'd say uh, working with people. I, what brings me joy is being a husband. What brings me joy is being a father. What brings me joy is working with people. Um, alongside people in in the kingdom. I have more fun doing that than I do usually sitting behind a desk. So just coming and hanging out with you guys right now <laughs> is a joyful moment for me. That's great. Well, some people might not know about Lutheran Hour Ministries. Can you give us a little overview of what Lutheran Hour does and what your role is there? Absolutely. Uh, Lutheran Hour has been around for oh, about 104, almost 105 wow. years. We are a, primarily a lay-level organization, the International Lutheran Layman's mm-hmm. League. Mm-hmm. And we have, uh, we're probably most known here in America for the radio show, The Lutheran Hour, which has been on for 90 years. Wow. It's the longest-running Christian radio broadcast. Mm-hmm. However, that's just a small scope of what we're doing. We have ministry centers in uh, over 35 countries around the world. Um, in every one of those ministry centers, it's people who uh, are native to that country who are running that ministry center, and we're working with them to see the gospel go out. Our main mission statement of bringing Christ to the nations and the nations to the church mm-hmm. is what we're about. Mm-hmm. So finding ways to uh, empower laity to share the gospel, to uh, uh, open up doors for that to happen, to equip them to be able to do that, but also to then refer people to congregations. Uh, We can't be the church for them. That's one of the beautiful things about having uh, really rich ties with the LCMS and having been a part of the LCMS from the beginning Mm -hmm. um, is that we have this great uh, wealth of congregations that we can refer people to and get people connected to, both here in America and also around the world. Uh, So what I do as Director of Design Development for Global Ministry is I get the joy of working with a lot of talented, incredibly skilled people in all the different types of products and productions that we're doing. So everything from our radio show and our podcasts Mm -hmm. to things like our Barna Research Mm -hmm. and the Bible studies and the um, equipping materials that we'll do, be it a small group or an individual course um, or the presentations on that. 
Um, I also get a chance to work with our digital research. We have a whole digital ministry team called Thread, yeah. uh, T-H-R-E-D, in mm-hmm. which we are equipping people online to have healthy spiritual conversations, mm-hmm. to bring their faith to those digital spaces, because God has placed you somewhere, and you, you, you'll you you'll find opportunities to have digital conversations online that, that I can't get to. Um, you have these unique, weird places that you're at, and I want to help you be able to, based on research and based on our our faith that's unchanging, know what the right thing to say is and how to say it in those spaces. Mm-hmm. So I get to work with a bunch of people to to create those sorts of things and um, constantly marvel at just the, the broad gifts yeah. God has given his people in the kingdom um, and, and work together to use them. Yeah, if you've never been to the Lutheran Hour website... Please check it go. out. Check yeah. it out. Yeah. Check it out. You might be on it for a long time. Yeah. There's so much so good stuff. So many more resources than, <laughs> yes. than I think people realize, and, and yeah. a, such a variety of resources. Um, so yeah, definitely go and check that out. I love the the variety of things that you get to do. But maybe tell us why you love working for Lutheran Hour. Um, why do I love working for Lutheran Hour? You know, it, it depends from day to day because I, I get excited about what I'm doing. You know, at the heart of it. Uh, there was a moment uh, just post college, and and I most of my friends in college were not Christian, and I remember being in a moment, and I was listening to a sermon about um, uh, pray to the Lord of the harvest for the harvest mm-hmm. is plentiful, mm-hmm. and the workers are few, and I remember in that moment um, as we we're getting ready for communion at that service, just recognizing suddenly how many that if I believe what I say I believe, and I do. Um, recognizing how many of the people who I considered close friends, people who'd be groomsmen at my wedding, mm-hmm. were on a track towards hell mm-hmm. when there was a savior mm-hmm. who had already died for them, had already risen for them, mm-hmm. and was waiting right there with open mm-hmm. arms. Mm-hmm. And the idea of uh, committing my life to figuring out how to be used by the Lord to spread the gospel was something that became very apparent. I remember actually going, they must've thought I was really weird because I was weeping as I took communion because I was thinking this gift I have Mm -hmm. of the forgiveness of sins is there for everyone. And yet Mm -hmm. so many people don't have it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I had specific faces in mind. Mm -hmm. And when um, I got the call to Lutheran hour and uh, I report to Tony Cook, the vice president of global ministry, And he said, I'm, I'm inviting you to come here and work with me to create systems where we train people mm-hmm. to to know how to do just that, mm-hmm. bring Christ to the nations. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I got excited about. That's the thing that made me go, yeah, I think for years I've been heading towards this call and didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, when I look in the mirror and I think, yeah, this is what we're about, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that gets me excited. And that, you know, even when it's even when you're in the middle of COVID or something and it's another Zoom call or <laughs> even in the middle when you're really tired, uh, the recognition of what's at stake and that uh, we are we are in this together and that these resources are proving effective. Yeah. Um, that's exciting. That, yeah. that keeps you going and keeps you passionate about what you're doing. Well, speaking of some of those effective resources, uh, Lutheran Island Ministries, Barna partnered on a great deal of research, three-year study on faith in America. The research looked at faithful like communities and churches and individuals and so many things that just great stuff that came out of that. One of the areas where you have spent significant time and resources is households of faith. Mm-hmm. And it's something obviously we're excited for. And we wanted to have you on to come share some of your findings as we're doing kind of a series on parents and certainly want to talk about that household thing. Um, you have created several resources on supporting households to be places where faith is nurtured and supported. And we recognize 
states that not all parental situations or households are the same. So in the research, what did it show for perhaps what types of households are in America today? Well, that's a great question, Mark. Thank you. Um, I want to start by saying that, you know, we looked at Christian households in America. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm about to describe a bunch of households. You might think, well, yeah, but no, yeah, buts. We were only looking at Christian Mm -hmm. households in America. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of different types. And we found that there were um, seven main types of Christian households in America. Uh, most people, when I say picture a household, they picture the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. They picture mom, they picture dad, two dogs, 2.5 kids, <laughs> a dog, and a picket fence. Um, and and that exists. And actually, if you want to pick the one type that is the most predominant, it's that. Mm-hmm. However, that's only at about 35% of the, the Christian households in America today, which means the vast majority of Christian households in America today are not that. So what are they? Well, you've got single occupancy households, someone who lives by themselves. You have got um, uh, couple households. So that would be uh, a man and a woman living together with uh, married, uh, maybe uh, just married, no kids, mm-hmm. or maybe empty nesters, or maybe never had kids mm-hmm. uh, for, for whatever reason. Maybe we're never able to have kids. Um, then you've got uh, multi-generational households, mm-hmm. my, uh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So that's where you have three <laughs> generations living together and or you might have a grand uh the researchers considered grandparents raising grandkids as a multi-generational household so you have a skip there of some Mm -hmm. sort happening uh happening um and then you have um now i'm losing you have single parent households Mm -hmm. so why are they a single parent household that's a question i get a lot um and sometimes there's this sense of judgment that comes along Mm -hmm. with it well there's any number of reasons Mm -hmm. that it could be there could have been a divorce. There could have been uh, any number of things that happened with that household. There could have been a death in the family. Mm-hmm. It kind of doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That's what you have. You have a single parent households. You've got roommate households. Um, so a roommate household um, would be uh, could be you and your couple live. Uh, you and your wife have a uh, someone else living mm-hmm. with you, mm-hmm. um, oh, or it could be yeah. you just after college. So mm-hmm. right after college, I lived with my uh, roommate Scott Sexton for three or four years mm-hmm. before I got married. Mm-hmm. We are roommate households. Mm-hmm. So you have all these different types of households that exist within America today. And what's interesting is in the church, we have this tendency to uh, really focus on the nuclear household. Mm-hmm. And we'll even use the term families, mm-hmm. right? We want a family, uh, uh, we want a pastor for families, a family mm-hmm. minister, mm-hmm. a family mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. family life. Mm-hmm. That's the language we'll use. Um, and that works for certain per- per- percentage. However, frequently when we're saying family, we're codedly actually talking about the nuclear family Mm -hmm. and they need help and support. Right. I don't mean to suggest they don't, but that's just one type of household. And there's an overwhelming tendency for people who do not fit in that category to feel like they don't fit and there's not a place for them. And yet the vast majority of the people that we're dealing with in our congregations aren't nuclear families. Mm Um, and so I think it's important for us in the church to begin to use household language. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the word inclusive is one that gives some people the heebie-jeebies. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I'm talking about trying to be inclusive for everybody mm-hmm. that's sitting in front of you in your congregation and making sure you're meeting those needs. And when you think about it, most of us in our own lives have lived in more than one type of household. Right. I grew up in a nuclear household. I um, was uh, – uh, it was my mom, my dad. I have a sister nine years younger than me and, and me. 
And then I went to college and I had a roommate household and I was in a roommate household until after I uh, graduated from college and we were in roommate roommate with my with Scott Sexton for years. And then I got married and I was in a couple household Mm -hmm. and then we had kids and I was a nuclear household. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in a multi-generational household. (laughs) And you know what? If things go the way that we expect them to go, one day my kids will go to college and they'll get married and I'll be back to a couple household Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll be an empty nester's household. This is what how life Mm -hmm. works Mm -hmm. for most of us. Mm -hmm. We experience multiple different types of households. So when we think this way. It might not be the household that you're in right now, but it's a household that your your people are and are going to be mm-hmm. when you have that kind of larger, more inclusive view of a household. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. So as we look at kind of the resources that you guys have developed and, and really thinking about these households from a Christian perspective, um, how do you or the resources define and address this essence of a, of a household, right? So we've been talking a lot about fa- parents, but like how might we kind of define or think about what a household is? That's a really important question. We at Lutheran Hour, based on the research, um, have begun to look at households in two ways. We look at uh, the core household, the people who live under your roof, and then what we'll often call the whole or extended household. I kind of like the whole household better. And one of the things that the research showed us is that there are these people in your life who are coming in and out. Sometimes you hear the phrase friends like family. Mm -hmm. They're people who are so much a part of the routines of your life that they're living life with you and they really are a part of your household. When we took that and then looked scripturally at what was going on, we found that the biblical idea of a household was actually closer to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So often Mm -hmm. you hear, you know, uh, Joshua says, for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. And what's the picture that you get in your mind? It's Joshua and maybe his wife and a couple of kids in front of a house with a picket fence. As a matter of fact, half the paintings on the bathroom walls of our listeners look just like that. However, what he was really talking about was a hundred people. Mm-hmm. He was talking about um, his his spouse and his kids and his kids' spouses and their kids and his siblings and their kids and his servants and their kids. This whole network that could be 75 to 100 people was considered a household, and they weren't living in the same under the same roof. Mm-hmm. They had pitched their tents next to each other. They were living their lives together. And throughout Scripture, in both the Old and New Testament, this idea of household, whether it be uh, by it in the Hebrew and the Old Testament or oikos in the Greek and the New Testament, is this larger structure of people living life together. Um, so when we talk about household, I'm not just talking usually about that person by themselves. I'm talking about that larger thing, which I found gives a lot of hope for those people who live by themselves and often feel like, but there's no place for me mm-hmm, in this. Mm-hmm. And the research tells me, no, actually, you play an important role in other people's households and those extended households that you're a part of. And you're needed there to play an important role. Um, and biblically, that I find that's true, too, which is a really great place to be standing. Well, and I think it encompasses, we talk a lot about supportive adults, right? And Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times those supportive adults come from those extended household thinking Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. happens kind of organically in a lot of congregations where a couple of families bond together, right? Um, And and so then you don't just have your parents, but you have the parents of your, you know, the other families that are nearby and that kind of thing. Um, It can be a really great way of thinking about how that network 
comes together, how God bounds that that household together to support young people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know some some nomenclature, you're talking about those relationships that happen. I catch myself saying, I hopefully I'm not doing copyright infringement. It's spiritually, <laughs> spiritually vibrant um, yeah. is yeah. a term that I've used a lot, yeah, I think, yeah. because, because I've been to a number of your yeah, trainings and just great resources. And so you guys produced a book, I think, first, and then <clears throat> some trainings that went along with it of the spiritual vibrant home. Yes. The, the sub, I love the, uh, the subtitle to the book was The Power of Messy Prayers, Loud Tables, and Open Doors. Yes. Um, and so this was by Don Everts. The book and trainings kind of dive into deepen those characteristics and practices of the spiritually vibrant home and households where that happens, those relationships mm-hmm. that take place. Um, when you discuss that term, what are some of the kind of the characteristics maybe in practices that you focus on uh, as we talk with adult leaders and others yeah. that are... Great question. Mm-hmm. As we took a look at the research and we said, let's we, we got a description of what Christian households look mm-hmm. like. And then we said, so what's happening in the spiritual life of these households? We found that there were different types of mm-hmm. of. Uh, what the researchers called spiritually vibrant, mm-hmm. dormant houses. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they had different types of, of, of vibrancy, so to mm-hmm. speak. Mm-hmm. And the spiritually vibrant house is the one we decided to really focus a lot mm-hmm. of our attention in uh, because those were the households where faith was being nurtured. Um, and we had multi-generations. You saw faith being nurtured across the generation and being passed mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to say, okay, let's take a look at what's going right and those households had three characteristics in common. They were households where spiritual practices were being, uh, uh, pra- spiritual disciplines were being practiced together on mm-hmm. a regular basis. Mm-hmm. They're households where spiritual conversations were being had together on a regular basis. And they were uh, households where hospitality mm-hmm. was being practiced together on a regular basis. And you notice I'm emphasizing that word together. Right. Um, it, the, in the the other types of Christian households that were not spiritually vibrant, they might have individuals doing these things, mm-hmm. but the secret sauce seems to be in the together. When the household mm-hmm. intentionally comes together to do spiritual disciplines, mm-hmm. so there's a real difference. For example, it, to to take spiritual disciplines for a moment. Um, there's a real difference between saying everyone's reading their Bible in the household. I mean, that's great. Mm-hmm. And please don't hear what I'm not saying. Mm-hmm. I want everyone in the household <laughs> to be reading their Bible on a regular basis. Yeah. But there's something special that happens when it comes to nurturing the faith, the research is telling us. There's a correlation between nur- faith being nurtured and households coming together and having that moment of reading the Bible as a yeah. group yeah. or praying or going to worship together. Mm-hmm. I mean, how often do we see these days you go to church and the kids go sit with their friends and the, I'm not saying you're a horrible parent if you let your kids mm-hmm. go sit with their friends, but there's something special that happens when you say, no, we're going to sit together as a household. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to stay together. There's something powerful that happens there. It wasn't always, I'm sure people would have different things, but I loved hearing from some parents who talked about one advantage to COVID was that they took up the responsibility to say, hey, we can't go to all name of the church functions. So we started doing it in our house and it was wonderful. Yeah. Now, they after a year, maybe they're ready to get back. <laughs> but, but I mean, that they said that, that was- together we, needed to be with some more people. Yeah, back more people. <laughs> but, but I mean, have they said like, we just, we never had that push to say, we're going to open God's word together. We're going to do devotions together, whatever it was. And like the beauty that came from that was really great to hear how the Holy Spirit worked through that. Yeah, there was a, a it's interesting because this uh, research, the monograph came mm-hmm. out Right, right before COVID hit. Yeah. We, none of us, I mean, it was, uh, I guess, January of that year, um, and none of us had any idea what was coming down the pike right. so soon. Mm-hmm. And all the resources that we were creating, we were just just about done with mm-hmm. at that point in time. And so very early in the pandemic, suddenly these resources we'd been planning for a couple of years 
we're releasing and we have households are just hungry right, for right. what do we do? <laughs> right. And it Absolutely. turns out it, you know, there's a lot of intimidation for a lot of households like, oh, um, I don't know how to do a family devotion. Oh, I don't know how to have a spiritual conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do these things. But the uh, the research has shown us that a couple of things that are, I think, very empowering. One, uh, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, the little things matter a lot. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. just starting, yeah. if you aren't um, praying before dinner, just doing that mm-hmm. is starting something very, very powerful mm-hmm. and very, very positive. So those little things and building on them is very powerful. One, so that's that's exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Anybody can start. And two, it doesn't matter what type of household you live in. So this vibrancy characteristic was not just for one type of household. Any household, mm-hmm. even those living by themselves, taking time to, with that extended household, be a part of others, we saw positive things mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. So uh, you could be a couple household, and it's about the two of you coming together. You could be a multi-generational household. And this was the thing for me where I had to stop and say, whoa, wait, are we making sure that we're including – because from the moment my kids are born, we started a rhythm of devotions that for us was right before bedtime. Mm-hmm. So you take your bath, um, and then everyone gets in their pajamas, and then we gather together, and we read a story from the Children's Storybook Bible, and we pray, and pray has got, prayer has gotten more complicated as we've gotten older. <laughs> but um, And then we sing a song, and I give squeezes and hugs and kisses and butterflies and blessing, and there you go. I mean, that's part of our rhythm, and it's – my mother-in-law didn't live with us when we started mm-hmm, that rhythm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was when I looked at this research that I was like, oh, no, we need a time where the whole household mm-hmm, comes together. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. maybe that's best done at the dinner table or mm-hmm. maybe that's best right. done at a different time of day. But we need to make sure we're including Kathy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because she's a vital part of this household. And the research is telling me when the whole house does it, yep. something special yep. happens. Yeah. yeah. The, I mean, your kids will be learning through that process, too, without you even knowing. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love how much of what you guys found resonated and and matched up with what we found in our research as well, right? Um, and it doesn't have to be super complicated. No, um, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we want to encourage parents in 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 looking for that spiritual vibrancy in their household is don't you want know, to programatize it you know, to be mm-hmm. super stressed about it? Like it is really the little things. It's in the tweaks that you make along the way and the way that you build on it that really does that does make the biggest difference. Um, but looking at the research that you did, any big surprises or things that might surprise our listeners to hear that you found in that research? I think the thing that surprised us the most, and I, in presentations and talking to people, have found others have been most surprised about, is the link between hospitality mm-hmm. and spiritual vibrancy mm-hmm. and faith being nurtured. There is something special about hospitality. And I remember the first time I... Um, talked about this and did a first presentation um this was before covid and it was in front of a pastor's conference and uh, one of the pastors came up and said why did you decide to study hospitality (laughs) and i said we didn't yeah yeah it just popped in the data Mm -hmm. that people who are having outsiders come in on a regular basis also are higher on all these other characteristics where we see faith being nurtured there's something special there and it's a correlation Mm -hmm. okay so it's important to note i can't promise that you know uh, it's not like if you start being hospitable, automatically, you know, boom, you have a better relationship with Jesus. It's not how that works. There's a, but there is some type of relationship between the two things, and it's a pretty strong one. Um, it's a pretty strong correlation. We see it again and again. And that did surprise us. Mm-hmm. And so we started looking in Scripture and started reading, and we realized, you know, 
hospitality is actually really highly prized in Scripture in both the Old and New Testament. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite passages. Everyone was looking at the the the, the let Paul's letters and how he mm-hmm. ret- continuously is saying, "Don't forget to be hospitable." Mm-hmm. But one of the passages that really grabbed my heart was in the Old Testament. Um, right there in the middle of Leviticus where, you know, you think, well, Leviticus is just full of all these laws. God comes out and he's saying, hey, uh, you must be, when the sojourner comes mm-hmm. through your land, mm-hmm. you open your doorway and you accept them mm-hmm. into your household and you treat them as one of your household. Why? Because you were a sojourner mm-hmm. in Egypt and mm-hmm. I came and mm-hmm. I did that for you. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's actually pretty powerful image. Mm-hmm. We were, we were random sojourners outside of God's family, outside of his household. And he actually said, no, 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 I'm going to come and I'm going to send my son to, to break the chains of slavery, to make you a part of my household forever. You're now, because of Christ, sons of the father, daughters of the father, members of his household. And so because of that, you're going to have open doors of hospi- mm-hmm. hospitality too. And what the research is telling us is that when you open your doors to people, uh, when you're hospitable, mm-hmm. they get a chance through your your household to experience a little bit of the household of God. Mm-hmm. And that does something powerful for them, and it does something powerful for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we, you hear researchers talk a lot about the epidemic of loneliness that's happening, mm-hmm. and right. our research right. actually confirms that. Right. 40% of Christian households have no visitors. Yeah. Wow. We have the opportunity to open our doors and say, mm-hmm. hey, come on over. Mm-hmm. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. We're here with you. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, that was the part for me that surprised me. I mean, that when you guys went that direction, it was kind of like, like why they do that? And then you read the research and like, oh, that's why. And it all makes sense. I yeah. mean, I, so now I'm with you every time. I was just listening. Uh, I was reading through uh, Titus maybe and hospitality brought up. Paul talks about me. And it's like, oh, there's that LHM thing again. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, people make fun of our, our, our love of data, but sometimes it's the data that points us yeah, back right, to scripture. scripture. Right, right. Yeah. It says like, yeah. oh, mm, did you miss that? God said that pretty uh-huh, heavily, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so often, uh, you know, so it may be a little backwards, but like yeah. sometimes it is that data that pops that goes, you kind of like, oh, Oh, right. Yeah, this isn't an accident. That yep. God said. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the the uh, you look at that Greek word that's being used there, and if you literally translated it, it's love of stranger. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Love of stranger. That's what hospitality is. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's love of the other. And we've talked about some stuff in our, our research and helping, and I think you've helped us frame some of that a little bit just to keep it, or make sure that we're bringing that up in our research where we saw like, oh, that makes sense. That's that correlation with some of the stuff between households and maybe individuals and how they treat others um, inside their close relationships and outside too. Um, and we get to see again that it's a reflection of first God's love for us yeah. that we can show to others. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if a youth leader is listening to the podcast and wanting to encourage or equip uh, parents in their household to create that spiritually vibrant home, uh, what are some steps you might suggest that they start to take? Well, the first one I'm going to suggest is often counterintuitive to people. Uh, before you can lead others into being spiritually vibrant households, you really have to take a look at your own. We as church leaders so often, be it pastors, teachers, DCEs, DCOs, you know, choose it, volunteer, lay leaders, so often put all our effort into going outside of the household that we forget to actually look at what ours is looking like. Are we modeling spiritual vibrancy ourselves? 
how are we doing at coming together um, and having spirit, practicing spiritual disciplines together? How am I doing in my household at having spiritual conversations with everyone? How am I doing in my hospi- uh, household of being hospitable? Mm-hmm. You're not going to be perfect, and that's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, w- but when you intentionally are looking at it and intentionally trying to grow from wherever you are currently, mm-hmm. and every stage of life presents new right. challenges, so you have to continuously adjust – um, that models something for for other people, and that modeling is huge because whether you want to be or not, you are become an ideal as a leader of what the ideal Christian life should look mm-hmm. like. And so often we look in the mirror and go, "Oh, don't look at me." Mm-hmm. Well, they are, yeah. and Scripture actually warns us about that, right? You know, Timothy says, "Hey, listen, <laughs> this is why you need a certain type of character." Paul and Paul and Timothy says, "Hey, listen, this is why you need a certain type of character of the leader." They have to be uh, of a godly character because people are looking at you mm-hmm. to be an exemplar, an example. So lean into it and grow. Mm-hmm. And you can admit your failures and mm-hmm. you can admit your growth. I, like I said a minute ago, I realized, oh, I had missed the boat on something and I need to talk about it. That gives people the freedom to be broken where they are and to also aspire to, to fix it and grow better. So that's the first thing I would do. The next thing I do is I look at the structures of your uh, ministry and I'd say, how can we lean into empowering households mm-hmm. to be a primary place? Tony Cook will often say um, that uh, the the uh, your congregation is only as strong as the households that comprise it. And I think he's dead on mm-hmm. in this research really, really um, uh, confirms that. If we can be strengthening households, so often we're like, well, I'm going to get all these programs where we're splitting the household out. Mm-hmm. Those programs could be fantastic, mm-hmm. and I'm not mm-hmm. saying to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. But how often are you looking at creating programs where households are doing things together, mm-hmm. whether it be worshiping or serving? You know, if you're doing some kind of big rake, maybe that's a thing a lot of congregations do. I know I, my congregation does it. Um, are you having the youth do one thing and the adults do one part and you're breaking households out? Or are you saying, no, 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 we specifically want you to serve together because this is something you do together. Mm-hmm. Um, does every event have to happen in your congregation? Or do you want to find those who are maybe really good at hospitality mm-hmm. and encourage them to open their doors and have some of the events in their households? Mm-hmm. Uh, encouraging hospitality, modeling hospitality. Not every household is going to be able to do that. And I don't want to make a household that's like, like right now we're doing some construction in our house. <laughs> Yeah, there's no place to no place for you to stand. Uh, It could be be the serving, serving together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, so uh, I don't want to be legalistic about these things, right? Right. But uh, where you can, but encouraging the creation of those opportunities within households. Mm Um, it, it requires a different mindset on the leaders. Mm-hmm. It requires mm-hmm. looking for different types of opportunities than we maybe were looking for before. I, I mean, I'll say, it, I think through that filter a lot, that hospitality piece and just how my own home and just even thinking, you know, future serving maybe like in a congregation about that importance. Like I, I grew up in that type of a house as a pastor's kid that anyone could come over at any time. Yeah. And little did I know at how probably impactful that was on me, uh-huh. that that was a welcoming place, but then also the people that were able to come to that door and be received that way. So I, I love seeing that. And I, but I think you're right, especially I think in American culture, individualism and all that kind of stuff, yeah. that can be a hard threshold to get over. Yeah. Um, that's our private space. That's where we get away from it all. How, but man, when you can make that encouragement to make it be that inviting place, huge things can happen. There's been so much research over the years mm-hmm. that talk about, um, especially with teens, and I think a lot of your listeners are dealing with youth groups and things like that. So that talk about those hub houses and the power of the mm-hmm. hub house, mm-hmm. right? And I know my wife and I have always wanted, is our, my twins are 13, they're getting into that age, mm-hmm. right? We want their friends to feel like, you come to my house. Right. Why? Um, because I want to be the influence on mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of you rather mm-hmm. than uh, who knows what. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the more we're learning about this research, the more we're realizing, no, 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 you need to double down on that. Mm-hmm. That idea of hospitality mm-hmm. and this idea of that of being like a hub house mm-hmm. is really, really powerful. And so often the push is, well, I got to get everybody in the church. I got to get everybody in the church. Mm-hmm. I got to get these pe- the visitors and the friends in the church. Well, I want I want them to worship with you. But maybe it starts with getting them into different Christian households mm-hmm. and hanging out and, and experiencing the rhythms of a Christian life, which for some can be very, very different. Mm-hmm. Right. I had an experience where some uh, children were in my house for, for a, a period of time. And, um, you know, one little girl asked my uh, – it's a long story why they're there. But uh, asked my wife, um, pointing at me, what's his last name? Mm. And – my my wife looked at her and said, "Well, Brogy," and she said, "But that's your last mm, name." Mm. And she said, "Yeah." Mm-hmm. And she went, "Huh?" And she said, "Whose father is he?" Because I have four kids. Mm-hmm. And my wife said, "Well, all of them." And she said, "You can do that." Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the whole, you know. Mm-hmm. A whole, I don't have to tell you anything about her for you to know a whole lot about her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she experienced something new. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, there was a moment at the end of that time where uh, every night we prayed together. Because if you're in my household, we're still going to pray every mm-hmm. night. You know, you're going to ha- get get a chance to experience that if you're spending the night. And this particular little girl, um, after a few nights of spending with us, you know, she's like, I'm going to miss praying at night. And, mm. and my daughter, Emma Jane, turned to her and said, well, you've heard our prayer. You can do that prayer every night. Uh, you, you don't have to do it just because you're with us. Mm-hmm. That's the power of hospitality. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it doesn't happen every time. It doesn't happen overnight. But you're creating opportunities for people to have an encounter with God. And sometimes that means letting your opening your doors to people you wouldn't normally think mm-hmm. to open your doors yeah. to. Yeah. yeah. Well, so much stuff. I know we could talk about that, um, but need to wrap up. So want you to give the opportunity to um, talk to the listeners about where should they start maybe with some LHM stuff or where can they find it? Um, just direct them on maybe if they want to go deeper into this with the households of faith, as well as some of the other great resources that you have. Uh, maybe in particular to young people, if you had an idea of how do you help parents uh, nurture their young people, nurture that faith, where would you have people start at LHM? Great question. So if you go to lhm.org slash Households, you'll find a list of all our resources. If you go to lhm.org, you can just explore forever. But if you specifically <laughs> want to find that household-related stuff, it's lhm.org/households. Um, if you were, uh, we have a number of different things. Everything from a deck of cards that's a tech of cards you can nice. play cards with. That, but each one has a different type of question to kind of get hmm. spiritual conversations happening in your mm-hmm. households. Um, we have, uh, it's just a playful, fun little thing. Mm-hmm. We also have um, some uh, small group studies, some individual Bible studies. Um, we have a number of different resources. All of those things, well, the deck of cards, there's a nominal charge for, but all of those re- other studies are free mm-hmm. and available for download on our website. Um, there is also the book you mentioned earlier by mm-hmm. Don Everett's, mm-hmm. uh, The Spiritually Vibrant Home, which you can buy through our website or through Amazon. And that book really is designed to help you at a lay level, like look at the research and know where we're getting this from, but also kind of dig into scripture. Mm-hmm. So if you want something, you can just kind of dig a little deeper into all this. Um, there is the monograph that's just pure stats. So if you're a stat nerd, you can get yes. that as well. It's in my office. I, I love it. Um, but if you're like, well, I don't know if I want to go that far. Um, I think Don Everett's book is a very enjoyable read yes, that you'll get some stuff out of no matter what. Um 
we also have uh, uh, a number of video resources that kind of go along with that too, with with these things as well. We just want to help you get started on the journey. Yep. Um, we even have a free inventory you can take to kind of evaluate the vibrancy of your household. And you can find all of that at, I'm going to do one more plug since you gave me the opportunity, mm-hmm. lhm.org slash households. Great. And we will include that link in yeah, the podcast notes. Well, well, we are so thankful for all the work that LHM has done on this, just the vast number of resources, encouragement it's been to us as we work with young people and support adults and parents who are loving on those kids and, and pointing them to Jesus. So thank you for all the work that you do. Thanks for being with us today and well, continue God's blessings. Let me say that back to you. We're really thankful for all that you guys are doing and all you continue to do year after year for an incredibly important population of, of Christians um, as you try to help leaders and adults, but in particular, uh, at this transitional age, work with youth. Um, I, I'm very, very thankful for you. And as my girl, my kids get older, I get excited about um, and, and about you being there to meet them mm-hmm. um, and provide different opportunities and experiences and resources that will help them know who they are in Jesus. So thanks for all you're doing. And I'm personally looking forward to joining you at the National Youth Gathering awesome. this year. Sweet. Great. It's awesome. See you there. <laughs> We're again so thankful for Reverend Brogy uh, taking some time to be with us today and all the work that Lutheran Hour Ministry is doing. It was really great when their research and our research with retention of young people is coming out about the same time. Um, and and certainly theirs is more broad and it hits on maybe more topics than what ours did. But it was great to see the correlations around those things of we call it warm challenge and grace, hospitality. Time in God's Word, those devotional practices, spiritual practices, being in worship and doing it together, um, that importance that was there. It was really exciting to see, and, and you know, again, how it's stuff that points us back to Scripture, uh, but yet to be able to talk about it, be able to articulate it, and be able to see it in the lives of young people was really exciting for us, I know. It really was, and, and even as we were developing the seven practices, thinking uh, about households, right, and like we talk about parents, but I think we could equally to be talking about grandparents, aunts and uncles, godparents, you know, other people that are in that households that are are regularly a part of that that spiritual interaction or how supportive adults are developed when when households are together and hospitable and um, and all of those things so uh, certainly there's a lot to take out of of maybe that broader study um, on what we can be thinking about in youth ministry and I think I love to I know we try to hit this when we're talking to parents uh, just that encouragement that the simple things the Holy Spirit uses those yeah. I mean he's working through all those things those times and just simple meal prayers, acknowledging that we have a creator God who gives us so many good things. Um, confession, absolution in the home, confess that you sinned, that you've wronged, receive forgiveness, speak the words of forgiveness. Those things might seem small, but they are impactful in the lives of young people. We saw that in our research and you get to see this here too. Um, so you know, when you're encouraging parents, is that it's just those little things kind of just showing up, uh, being those people of God uh, for young people that just the Holy Spirit uses that in amazing ways. Well, and even just talking about that hospitality aspect that came up in their research and, and tying that back to when we heard Dr. Ripstein talk about, hey, uh, we want you to be eating together, right? Yeah, Those right. acts of just having fun together and mm-hmm. spending time together. Um, and there are really fabulous places where youth ministries can help facilitate that time um, and help encourage that time. Uh, and that might take a little bit of programming reassessment, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> it might mm-hmm. take a little bit of time to say like, okay, but how can we do some of those fun things 
those service things, those meal things um, as a household mm-hmm. within our congregation right. rather than just um, in our separate age groups. And then we come in on Wednesday and we all go to a different spot and we never come back together. Um, there are some really great um, ideas to be brought into that of how do we incorporate that into our, our programming at the congregation level as well. Yeah, I think it's that, that, that there's definitely that push on a lot of things. I think we you are pushing back against a lot of kind of American individualism. Sure. That culture that but it's good to good to talk about and good to kind of push back on that a little bit and see it more through the lens of scripture and through us as a community of believers. So great stuff. And so some closing questions for you to consider. Uh, first, what kind of household do you have and how are you doing spiritual practices, spiritual conversations and hospitality together in that household? How can your congregation raise the awareness of the gift of hospitality and encourage households to be hospitable to others? And finally, how can your congregation and your youth ministry be more inclusive and supportive of all households? We will continue to keep you in our prayers as you care for the many different kinds of households you have in your congregation and in your community. And we pray that God will use you to encourage, equip, and engage all kinds of households so they can be centered in Christ and be spiritually vibrant. Engel's podcast is a production of LCMS Youth Ministry and KFUO Radio. To find out more about LCMS Youth Ministry or to find links to resources mentioned, go to kfuo.org slash youthministry. Thank you for listening and caring for the young people of our church.